0: Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite in fantasy fiction, and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. All right, welcome to Literary Quest.
1: This week, we will be discussing The Bone Witch by Rin Chipeco. I am going to start with our characters, some terms that you need to know, and locations, and then Marissa will do our plot. So, there were a lot, there was a lot of information in this book in general. Some key terms that you'll need to know the Asha. They are magic-wielding women. Um, There are three types. There are performing Asha, fighting Asha, and dark Asha. Uh, The dark Asha are the strongest, but they are also feared and hated, as they are also known as bone witches and can raise the dead. They're the faceless. They're practitioners of the dark. They're sworn to the false prince. There are three leaders, Anna, Druj, and Isij. They are trying to overthrow the current kings and convert the Asha to their belief system. There are also death seekers. Um, They're sort of like a magical military. um, So when men have magic, that's where they end up. There are Deva. They're monster-like creatures that the Dark Asha are responsible for killing every few years. When they are killed, the Dark Asha can harvest Bezoar from them, which have various magical properties. So moving on to our characters, There's Taya Palabi, our main female lead. She is a bone witch um, slash dark Asha, which was revealed when she accidentally raised her brother from the dead. She is incredibly powerful and smart. She has several sisters, Rose, Lilac, and Daisy, as well as one brother, Fox. Fox um, is Taya's brother. He is killed in a fight against a Deva, and at his funeral, Taya is incredibly distraught and ends up bringing him back from the dead. He becomes her familiar and her constant companion and bodyguard in the book. We meet Michaela. She's a fellow bone witch slash dark Asha who brings Taya to House Valerian in Ankayo to train as an Asha. She does not have a heart glass because she gave it away to a man that she loved. She is slowly weakening because as a dark Asha, it is her responsibility to kill all the Deva. Mistress Permina is an Asha who runs House Valerian. She is very old and is only nice when it suits her. She very reluctantly takes Taya in and then uses her as a servant for several years before beginning her Asha training. Lady Shadi, an Apprentice Asha at House Valerian, she is an incredibly skilled dancer which uh, draws the ire and jealousy of other apprentice Asha, especially Zoya. At first, she and Taya don't have much of a relationship but as Taya advances, they become closer. So Zoya, uh, she's another apprentice Asha, but from another house. She ends up being one of Taya's sister Asha's despite them disliking each other. Then we have Kana and Fari, maids at House Valerian. They develop friendships with Taya as they work together often. You have Rahim, a Hua seamstress. He makes the most beautiful Hua and despite being male and struggling at first, he has developed a large clientele. Lick, Taya's friend, Taya's friend, he is gentle and unfortunately destined to be a death seeker. He wants to be an Asha though and is gender fluid. We also meet Polaire and Althi. They're friends of Michaela's. They are also powerful Asha and become Taya's other sister Asha. Polaire is very well um, versed and understanding of politics and differences in cultures and how to entertain people from various countries. Althi is an excellent cook slash potion maker healer. And we meet Prince Kans. He is the Prince of Odalia. Uh, Taya has a crush on him and they have a somewhat flirty friendship. His father is King Telamine. We meet Kaelin. He is a death seeker who is also Prince Kans's cousin and bodyguard. He is hostile towards Taya but helps train her in hand to hand combat. Um, and we meet Bard. He is a secondary narrator who has been exiled and tasked with getting to know Taya to write her story. Um, And then for our locations, there are technically eight kingdoms, we don't um, get introduced to all of them, the book mainly takes place in Ankaio, a city in the kingdom of Kion, um, and the secondary story takes place at the Sea of Skulls.
0: So I'll pick up with our plot. The Bone Witch is told from two perspectives. So one perspective is from the bard, who we're told very little about, with his perspective given at the start before each chapter. Um, And then with another perspective from Taya, whose perspective makes up the bulk of the story. And so the book starts from the bard's perspective, where Taya, who's 17 at present, explains how her story and all of the interactions that she's had with the Asha rulers and humans have led to her exile to the Sea of Skulls, where she is raising an army of Deva. So we know from the start of the book that at some point, things are going to go sideways. Taya's story begins with the death of her beloved brother, Fox, who was killed while serving in the king of Odalia's army when Taya was 12. She becomes very distressed at his funeral, claiming that she saw him move, and her family reacts how any family would react to a hysterical 12-year-old who claimed that their dead and buried brother and child was still alive. They tell her that she's wrong. Fox is definitely dead. However, Taya, refusing to accept this, begins to draw on magic, draw runes fox's grave caves in and he rises from the dead and so Taya does not know how she was able to draw on such power uh, but it it was an immense amount of power and she falls sick from using it and so a dark Asha named Michaela arrives at Taya's village where she's able to heal her from her sickness explains why she was able to raise her brother because she's able to Wield magic and not just any magic, the magic of the dark Asha. Her brother is now her familiar, and Michaela offers to take her on as an apprentice if she will travel with her to Keon. And so Taya hesitantly agrees. Um, On the way to Keon, she learns that while dark, dark Asha or bone witches are grudgingly respected because of the role they serve in raising and killing the deva, magical beasts that arise every two to 10 years or more to wreak havoc. Um, Other asha can use runes to manipulate the elements and harm or subdue the deva, but only dark asha can fully kill them. And dark asha aren't able to use the runes that manipulate the elements. So dark asha are sort of respected, but for the most part, they make people uncomfortable, are not warmly welcomed or frequently gossiped about, looked down upon, and sometimes met with hostility. And so on their way to Keon, Taya, Michaela, and Fox stop in Neve, uh, which is the capital of Taya's home country, Odalia, where they meet with the king of Odalia, Telamain, and Taya meets Prince Kant of Odalia. King Telamain is one of the royals who welcomes Michaela warmly. And we later learn that this may be for a couple of reasons, with one of them being that she was actually in love with um, King Telamain's dead brother, Van Horn, and was warmly thought of when they were romantically involved, and two being that Michaela gave her heart's glass, uh, for which, which for bone witches is their source of power to Vanor, and he hid it, and so she is without a heart's glass, and therefore less powerful and less of a threat. Should also probably explain that everyone wears a heart's glass. It's like a, a glass object that people wear around their necks, People who are able to wield magic have a silver heart's glass. That's what separates them from people who don't wield a lot of magic. And there are different types of witches who they're, you can still sort of be a witch and not have a silver heart's glass, but like Asha and Death Seekers, they do have silver heart's glass. And so Michaela is without hers. And as a result, without a lot of power. Anyway. They move on to Kion to Ankayo in the willows, which is where the Asha live, and where Taya is taken before the Oracle and accepted as an, an apprentice to House Valerian, which is run by Mistress Parmina, a grumpy but very clever older Asha. Taya's time working for House Valerian is difficult. She runs errands, clean up, cleans outhouses, scrubs floors, and is tasked with helping Mistress Parmina with her baths and rubbing her scaly, bunioned feet. It's grueling and not enjoyable, uh, but Taya still gets to see Fox. And as her familiar, she shares a bond with him so that she can feel him at all times. Taya's formal training as an Asha does not officially begin for nearly two years. And so she's almost 14 when she starts actually training as an Asha. But eventually they decide to progress her training when she's tricked into coming to a tea house where Prince Kant of Odalia is. She accidentally raises an army of dead rats and dogs and a person displaying a significant amount of power. And Mistress Carmina decides it's probably best to help her figure out how to control her abilities now before she completely loses control of things. She is taken to Rahim, the atelier who measures her for uh, her own Hua, which is a sort of dress that the Asha wear. And she is taken to see Chesh, who's a jeweler where she meets Lick who she becomes very good friends with. Taya does very well with her training as an Asha where she learns to sing and to dance and to play musical instruments and to fight and is taught the history of the Asha as well as that of the eight kingdoms. Uh, meanwhile, Lady Michaela's health suffers because she lacks a heart's glass to draw power from. Uh, and she is also the only remaining dark Asha besides Taya as one has died and the other is missing. Michaela is the only Asha who can kill the rising Deva, but each time she does, she weakens more. So she's basically bedbound while she is recovering. And her friends, Polaire and Alfie, arrive at House Valerian to help care for her. And it's decided that Michaela, Polaire and Alfie will be bonded to Taya in a special ceremony, making her their sisters who will and they will mentor or mentor her. But because Michaela is so weak, they will need a fourth sister. And so they select Zoya, who Taya already has a rocky relationship with. Um, Taya runs into Prince Kants, who she's attracted to, and his grumpy body- bodyguard, Kaylin, who does not like Taya, several more times as he is staying at Keon for the next year. In one instance, they run into each other at the Heart Forger's residence, where she meets with Khaled, the prince's older brother, who is in training to become a Heart for- Forger. Uh, which is a person who can take memories to make potions and to forge heart's glass. Um, Taya's training is tested one night at the uh, Darashi Oyun, the yearly ceremonial dance that details the story of how Asha came to be. During the dance, the Aussie, a three-headed dragon, which is a, a day that it's the greatest and most dangerous of the deva, burst through the stage to attack the crowds present for the ceremony. The Asha and the death seekers um, are able to contain it, but Michaela is injured while trying to subdue it, and so Taya is able to draw the Aussie's attention to her and is able to get into its mind to subdue it, but is unable to kill it, and the Aussie flees. After this display of power, the council of elder Asha decide to Test Taya for advancement to Asha status, which she passes at 15, which is young for an Asha. Meanwhile, a contingent of death seekers are deployed as trouble, likely Deva related specifically to the Aussie, is brewing in Kion. And when 20 of those death seekers are killed, the prince's bodyguard, Kaelin, in addition to more death seekers, are sent for support. Taya petitions the Council of Elders allow her to go and to find the Aussie because after getting into the Aussie's head she has been able to maintain a connection to it and she thinks she may know where it is um, and is confident that that is responsible for all of the destruction and they decline her request and she goes anyway with Fox and Polaire and Zoya after learning from Khaled that the Aussie is hiding in a lake And so when they arrive at the lake, they find a bunch of injured and dead death seekers and Kaylin. The Aussie is asleep for now in the lake, but Taya is able to wake it by entering its mind again. However, once she does this, she gets stuck and has a hard time separating her own consciousness from the Aussies and her physical body appears dead, which is very distressing to everybody. She realizes while trapped in the Aussie's mind that it is under an enchantment of one of the faceless the group of people who are trying to, who wield dark magic to bring destruction and usurp power. And she's only able to break the enchantment and separate her mind from the Aussie and then subdue it when her brother Fox is injured. So she returns to her body and the Aussie returns to the lake steps as it is a peaceful creature once the enchantment has been broken. And so Taya relays her discovery of the enchantment on the Aussie and realizes that there is a faceless Working within their ranks at the willows. So, switching perspectives here from the bard's perspective, Taya has raised an army of Deva to seek retribution for all that has been done to her and against those who killed her beloved. So, who is the faceless agent amongst the willows? How was Taya betrayed, and why is she seeking retribution? And who does she love that was killed? Spoilers abound. If you have not read the book, go ahead and read it because it's fantastic. Or you can keep listening because we'll be talking about all the spoilers. All
1: right. So Marissa,
0: this was your um second read of the it book. It was my second read. And it was just as good the second time as it was the first time. This is your first sweet read though, right? It was. It was my first read. And... So what did you think? Share.
1: So I started off really worried that I wasn't going to like this.
0: <laughs> I was also worried that you weren't going to like it. And this is going to be really hard to talk about. <laughs> I, know.
1: I was, um, I was very concerned, but it worked out well because so when it starts off, it's switching back and forth between those two um, narrators and um, perspectives. And it was confusing and I was frustrated and I was like, I just want to know what happens. And at some point that switched. Um, And I was like, "This is great! I love what's happening with this. Um, I love the bard. I love like what we're seeing." So I definitely uh, ended up enjoying this book, but I I was rocky at the start for me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is a little difficult to get used to initially, um, but I think it. I really like it as an element because I like spoilers and so I like knowing from the start that things are going to go sideways um can just like you're just waiting and and then you can kind of start looking for the signs that things are going sideways as well so it's a little spoilery from the start which I appreciate um and, and it is a I mean I, I definitely remember reading it and thinking well this is really confusing um but it, eventually and it, for me it didn't take very long you get to the point where it's like okay I understand what's happening now. Um, and i think that it's a unique way to tell a story
1: it is i don't i'm um, trying to remember another book that i've read by like that and i can't think of one off the top of my head i feel like we did read something like that though this yes, i did i don't remember but it ended up working in this book really
0: well yeah um, it's a really good um uh, storytelling element i think. Yeah, and I think it's probably, like, that's hard to do, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but I, li- I like the way that, because the the Bard's perspective, it's linked to the story. I mean, it's not like it's completely separate from it's not like it's bard's perspective and doesn't have anything to do with like the chapter like what happens in the chapters right, right. relates to what she's telling the bard in the what the precursor the the little bit before the chapter starts so it yeah. they they're linked together it's not like it's just two random perspectives right um
1: yeah like so whatever she says like in the um when it's from the bard's perspective whatever she says then leads up into the next chapter like it being her experience of that happening The time that it didn't happen, though, was when he asked about the grave, right? And she goes, oh, it was because um, it was a boy who I loved, Mm -hmm. right? And then the next chapter did not explain that at all, Um, which we know why. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I was so frustrated. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) And then it got, uh, and then as it went on it connected, I think more and more to what was going on, and yeah. that's another reason. But I feel like at first I was just uh, um, with it, and it just it really I think it improved the book. Um, yeah, it's it's a really it's a unique element to uh, um, to the book. So yeah,
0: so of- because of this, so yeah, uh, you text me like as you were reading this like is something bad going to happen to Taya's brother? Like what's going to happen to Fox? I know something bad is going to happen to Fox. I want to know what it is. Were you thinking that the dead person, the grave, were you thinking that it was Fox? I actually was not thinking it was Fox. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you kept texting me that and I was like, she thinks the dead person is Fox. I Fox was already dead. <laughs> no, I know. What I was um, worried about happening with Fox
1: was like, him starting to decay or him maybe getting injured like losing an arm or something yeah can he go back to being dead once he is a familiar so so I was worried that something really bad or he would get captured or something I don't I was very concerned that something really bad and heartbreaking was going to happen to Fox um I ended up not really caring about who was in the grave I was like okay that's just gonna (laughs) get revealed at some point okay like that like to me that wasn't as super like was really suspenseful I was just like whatever it's the grave yeah we'll see at some point it'll tie in I'm sure (laughs) but yeah my main concern I was so worried for Fox
0: yeah so I bet you were really relieved then when they did like the blooding ceremony and he looked like a brand new man
1: Yes. Yes. Well, I was even more relieved when she said at the end um, that she and Fox like grew apart and picked different sides. I was like, okay, he's not dead, dead. Like he's not double dead. He's Super dead. (laughs) The deadest of deads. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know why I had like some weird attachment to him.
0: I mean, I feel very attached to Fox, too. She raised him from the dead. There's obvious affection there, and he's yes. very protective of her. They have a really great sibling relationship. I mean, it's not he's not like overbe- the overbearing older brother. He's like he very much treats her kind of like I, he's a little bit protective, but she's also protective of him. so they they treat each other like equals, and it's not like this smothering sibling relationship. I mean, I'm attached to their I'm attached to Fox, too. I'm attached to their relationship. <laughs>
1: When this started, like the very first scene when she's um, raising one of the devas, right? Mm-hmm. It reminded me of Princess Mononoke. Have you seen it?
0: Yes. Did it give you that vibe? Uh, I don't think I consciously thought of that when that happened. But
1: yeah, I thought of it because I
0: feel like that does
1: kind of happen in Princess Mononoke. Like the black sludge kind of stuff definitely mm-hmm. was a thing. And there was something about, uh, rock like thing yeah with the um boar the wild boar but anyway so mononoke vibes
0: yeah the start. vibes. um i loved so i one of the things that i really liked about the bard's description is that he's um uh, He's seeing things kind of differently from how, like, a, oh, it's a different perspective, obviously. And so the way that he describes Taya reviving the Dea, the devas, um, you know, like from bone to sinew and muscle, and then them coming alive, and her treating them like pets, um, and him being scared of them. And then when she starts raising more of the Deva, and they're like frolicking on the beach and playing with each other, like there's what there's one scene that he's talking about where it's like the the deva nudged the other one and then rolled over on its back and it's, so, it's like I, it just reminded me of my cat <laughs>
1: <laughs> I yes I loved that too that the deva though like everyone thinks they're all these evil horrible things mm-hmm. and I also like that description of it going from bone to sinew and blood and finally muscle and flesh that sounded so cool yeah <laughs> like That was so descriptive. You could really, really see that um, in your head and and it was cool.
0: Yeah, it was, it was really good. I mean, it was just really good description. And I also like the, I mean, I feel like it's kind of symbolic the way that Tay is able to raise these and take their hearts and sort of uh, would their, their loyalty, I guess, or make them her own and how different they are, you know, just kind of in the wild and exposed. They're destructive and dangerous and people associate like hatred and all of these dark themes with him. and then when tay is able to revive them and at this point she's been exiled she's in the sea of skulls because they have exiled to her her to this so that's obviously indicative of some type of betrayal or um, she's done something really bad to be put there and she's able to raise these horrifying creatures and they're like pets yeah i think it's it's just good I mean it's I don't know symbolism maybe or well we also know um
1: her heart's um her heart glass turns black yeah yeah so we know there's something really bad happened right um and the fact that Kaylin is dead I want to know what happens
0: right well we don't know that Kaylin is dead until the very end but yeah Well, right but yeah yes but yeah and I just think it's really uh interesting it's you know in throughout the story they 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 associate like the having a black heart glass and be, the deva and even just bone witches in general with being like that. that there's negative vibes negative connotations to all of these things and we see her at the end and she's not you know this like raging hate feel i mean she's definitely seeking retribution and raising an army but she's got a black heart's glass and she's raised these like Deva that are like pets to her. And she's not (laughs) just this uh, nightmare. And so it makes you kind of question like, well, where did these thoughts about having a black heart's glass come from? And is it just like this thing that's been associated in the past that's not necessarily accurate? Or is she like the exception to the rule?
1: She also seems to have like is way more powerful i want to i'm so curious to see how this develops because she can now like enter people's dreams basically or control their dreams to have them come to her which we haven't seen her with that and i don't think we've seen any characters with that Mm -mm. um in here any of the asha or any of the powers that were touched on right not um did not include that so i'm really curious because we know that she learns from one of the leaders of the faceless Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um extra stuff
0: yeah um when and part of that as well is going to be the only other dark gasha that we've been exposed to is Michaela, and her heart's glass is gone so her power is significantly limited so it makes you wonder is this something that she could do Mm. before she lost her heart's glass or was ever was she ever given the opportunity to learn how to do this i think it's um it's really interesting when they start talking about the dark asha versus the rest of the asha because the other you know there's different types of asha there's the ones that really don't have a whole lot of power and then there's like the the ones that are more powerful and can wield the elements and they taught there's this one scene where they talk about learning the runes so all of the different runes that the different like there's like 29 elements for wind or runes for wind and all there's all of these other runes and there's like between i don't know 20 and 30 different runes and then they get to the dark runes and there's three of them does that not seem suspicious to anybody (laughs) it does
1: seem suspicious but also at the same time they can bring back people from the dead so maybe they're thinking they're given all of this like intense power that they shouldn't have control over additional runes but i don't know that's high-handed well yes (laughs) it does but i'm wondering if that was maybe the thought process
0: right about it don't teach them just try to limit their power and then if they try to learn more than what we this little bit that we've given them call him a traitor and put him in jail or kill them mm-hmm. i think it's highly suspicious that there are only three runes that dark asha can use and i think that at some because dark asha are the most powerful ones someone at some point decided well we don't want them being too powerful probably so we can you know um, lord our own power over them and then use them up to the point where they're dead so they'll never be able to overpower us right I agree,
1: which is one of the reasons I'm reading for the faceless because it sounds like they're gonna pull some like super <gasps> cool powerful stuff <laughs> see all the power <laughs> that they have, don't you? I don't know, you read the book, but yeah. I want to see like I want to see that action. You know, they're saying uh, there's all this extra power out there that you're not using. Let me see it.
0: That is let me see me. you
1: use I'm it good for the bad
0: guy. So I bet you love Taya in the, in the Bard's perspective, when she is all this chaos and amassing massive, like amassing power and Deva creating her own army so that she can. Yeah. Just like rain down destruction.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So one of my favorite quotes on this, it's um, in Makoto quotes, but so we'll take it out um she says after all she mused who would deliberately break all eight kingdoms only to save the lives of dark asha and i was like yes (laughs) i was so excited i read that and i was like yes this is gonna be amazing she's gonna destroy everything yes so i got super excited when i read that i bet you did Mm -hmm. i bet you did (laughs) Let's talk a little bit more in detail, I think, because I was very intrigued by the heart glass, right? Okay. This whole thing. So I have several questions about it. When they first get their heart glass, and you know, it get, goes different colors,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: That is not something they can control. Right. is it, right? It's not something they can control. That's what it is.
0: Mm, I no. th- think it depends. Okay. So I think the Asha... Mm -hmm. or people who have like the silver hearts glass and do you think they can control what they're portraying because she talks about um trying to like write in her emotions and keep them in check and Kaylin does the same thing and so so it says Khaled so they talk about or like keeping their hearts glass hidden Mm -hmm. but with people who don't have magic I don't know that they can control that but like when they first get it
1: and let's say, and so they first get it and it's silver. They don't control that. That Can they know that it won't be silver? Like, could it ever be a surprise? Like what their color is? Like, is it some reveal like, oh, it's silver. Okay. Or, oh, it's, I think her sisters have like purple. Right. Violet.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: is that something that's known already? Before?
0: No, I don't think so. Because, Te- I mean, Taya didn't know that she was going to have a silver heart's glass until she raised her brother from the dead. She didn't know she had magic at all. Right. Okay. Um, But I also think that you can have a glamour that will change the color of your heart's glass too.
1: Yes. They did mention that.
0: Yeah. So you can be deceptive about it, mm -hmm. which is how Mm -hmm. Ana disguised as Kana was able to deceive them for so long. It was part of it, at least her disguise.
1: Um, the other thought that I had when reading about heart glass I don't think I would like it <laughs> no <laughs> no for multiple reasons first off it's basically like where it's literally like hard on the sleeve right mm. um, two if they can tell like people can tell what I'm feeling mm-hmm. and stuff or if I'm lying or being or whatever I don't like that at all right Um, and then the idea that like I could lose it or give it away or something it just it doesn't seem like a
0: great system <laughs> no there's a lot of anxiety associated with it there are a lot of really spectacular detailed elements in this story that I really enjoy uh heart's glass being one of them and all the different ways that you can have one forged and um, decorated as well as like the hua that the asha's uh, clothes I like the, you know, like their uniform, but they're so diverse and symbolic and meaningful. Like there's, there's no Asha that wears the same Hua as another Asha and the thing, the materials that they're made of, the colors that they select, the uh, things that they have sewn into them are so unique and representative of the individual person and where they're from and what type of magic they practice and what they represent. I really like how descriptive they are in the story. And the same with like the Zavars, the things that they put in their, their hair, the different types of magic that they weave into their clothes and how that's protective for them. Um, there's a lot of, I, I don't, I don't know i feel like we we select our clothes to be representative of who we are like i have a bunch of shirts that say smash the patriarchy now (laughs) which is like kind of representative of me but i like how uh in this situation clothes can be used as like a literal armor you know without actually being like an armor
1: (laughs) yeah yeah and it's like you said representative of who they are because it um becomes a point later on that the bard observes that she has dragons on hers mm-hmm. and it's not actually multiple dragons it's a, well it's not a dragon it is a dragon it's kind of a dragon it's kind of a dragon i kept picturing dragons um with three heads and then we meet later on the ozzy yeah the ozzy the ozzy which is sounds like a dragon with three
0: heads yeah um and- oh ho. Oh, we have Um, some foreshadowing there. A little bit. And what was I going to say? Oh, what did you think of, like, the seer? Oh, you mean the oracle? Yeah. Um, I've... (laughs) (laughs) so Taya makes this point several times when she goes to see her like I really don't like throwing my pretty stuff in the fire (laughs) and I would feel the same way (laughs) like I got this really pretty meaningful hair thing and now I have to throw it in fire I wish I could throw the one that's not as pretty or as expensive (laughs) and it would totally be the same way
1: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I would completely forget what the uh, oracle um, said to me yeah. Like the whole these
0: are really cryptic messages to come back when you have another familiar that didn't know life, but also knows life. What does that mean? Like, <laughs> this is, you would maybe do better with that than me because you're, you're good at riddles. I would be like, I don't know what these words are. Can you make it clearer? It would
1: more be me forgetting what it was like the thing would happen and I would forget that the Oracle had said that. Like, because when I was reading, I forgot. And I got to the point with the Aussie and, you know, the three heads and she's in the heads and um, I did not click while I'm reading this, that I was, I did not remember, oh, that's what the Oracle was talking about. No. And then she goes to the Oracle and I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, we should talk a little bit about where the Deva came from. There was a whole uh, myth surrounding it. It was just yes. really detailed. Um
0: I don't want to say superstition, but myth, like origin story, yeah, I it's guess. It's an origin this, story for yeah. like the Asha, the dark Asha, the Deva. Mm-hmm. Um, I That's one of my favorite parts of the stories and it, of this story is, I mean, it's just so detailed. This first book, she does so much like world building, history, creation. Um, there's so much like, explanation in this first story. And I, it's very interesting uh, but that's where the the dance this this big symbolic dance that everyone trains for every year comes in the the um the darashi oyun um is the story of what blade that soars in dancing wind and hollow knife and little tears um and Blade that soars and Dancing winner are in love. Um, and Blade that soars is super powerful. And Hollow Knife continuously tries to seek Blade that soars power. He's, Hollow Knife is Blade that soars brother and is very jealous. And eventually he tricks little tears into obtaining this stone. Is it a stone? It's a stone, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a stone. Um, And he uses it to kill Blade source and wreak havoc. And that's where the Deva come from. He uses his magic to create the Deva. Um, And this is also where the, the creation of the dark Asha come in as well.
1: So the first part of that origin story is like Samson and Delilah. Did you have that thought? Oh, I didn't, but that's a really
0: good connection.
1: Yep. I read that and I was like, this is Samson and Delilah. Oh my gosh. Um, and then it went it went off the rails in terms of Samson and Delilah. <laughs> but that first part of it was very much um, Samson and Delilah because it's the whole, um, he asks where the heart is. He gives him a fake um, location, seeks it out, finds out it was fake. Just like with Samson and Delilah, Samson's like, oh, this is the key to my power and I was like oh I'm gonna destroy it
0: and then why either one of them decided to tell the truth to the other? I know every why? like he, hollow knife comes to blade that soars three times and was like where do you keep your how?" and blade that soars is like it's here it's here it's here and he lies to him twice and the third time he's like it's with dancing wind and like why would you say that yeah you just made her a target first of all secondly it's pretty obvious that the after the first two attempts that he's trying to take it from you, um, maybe you shouldn't tell him the location that it actually is at.
1: Yep, and same thing with Samson and Delilah. It was three times. Three is a number that comes up so often. Yeah, all the time. But yeah, three times. Just it's so silly of them to end up being like,
0: oh, okay. There is something that hollow knife says to not hollow knife that blade that sword says to hollow knife every time that this happens. And I it, I, it was one of my favorite quotes and I love it because he says to hollow knife, do not seek what is not yours for the world will suffer. And he's talking about like, if you take this from me, then, you know, there will be all of this dark magic. People will suffer. It will be bad. Um, but I love this. Because this is what happens to Taya. They take her beloved. They exile her. They treat her really poorly. And the world is going to suffer because she's raising this army of Deva to rain down destruction on the people who have done her harm. Like, yes. That's a good little full circle. Whether it's intentional or not. Like, I like that as a full circle moment. Me too.
1: So with that story, it just, it really highlights how the author created such a reach rich and detailed world I mean go all the way back to this mythology that it has I was just blown away by it I know we talked about it a little bit before but it was also Notes like I know just this whole I mean the whole first book has really set up you know all of this detail all of this Richness and everything for the ne- next two books, and I'm excited for it because I'm a big fan. You know, I like world building, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's great. There's so much. It's just like as if it was a real, it's like if it was a real world. Yeah, all the history. Like in the back, there's all the history about the kingdoms, right? Who they went to war with.
0: I like. <laughs> I think it's funny how to be an Asha, you have to undergo such extensive training. Taya describes her, her educational schedule. And it's like, I spend this many hours a day dancing and this many hours a day singing and learning to play a musical instrument and taking history lessons and also learning how to fight. And also I have to entertain people at nighttime too. It sounds exhausting.
1: It does. So they talk about them being really good dancers, right? But they don't start their training until they're like, 13, 14 to be Mm -hmm. dancing, right? Yeah. And that's really interesting to me because people spend, like, a lot of professional dancers have been dancing since they were, like, kids. Yeah. And so to start at, like, to me, starting at, like, 13, 14 and mastering it in, like, two years, Mm -hmm. I was like, that's a little, I don't know, unrealistic?
0: It's a short time schedule. But... If you're doing it, you know, every day mm-hmm. or several days a week for hours. Yeah. I don't know, that might speed things up a little bit. I, I, I see what you mean though. Michaela's speech to Taya about never giving your heart away is really sad. But I kind of agree with her about... not ever actually giving your heart like in this situation it's their literal heart yeah Um, and I I definitely agree with her on that point because for the other Asha and even like humans giving your heart away is like the consequences are not as severe but for dark Asha when you give your heart's glass away you're parting with a significant amount of your power yeah and for it, other people, they can get a heart, like they can have a heart forger, make them another heart or like even, um, Taya's sister, Daisy, I think she gives her heart away to everybody, but her sister just makes her another one and it's inconvenient, but she can do it. I'd liked,
1: I kind of, Daisy had such an interesting perspective on it. So she would give her, give away her heart. till so she gave it away to like several different people, right? Mm-hmm. And had it, um, would just get new ones made. And so I guess the ones that she gave away faded. I would assume that's what happened. Yeah. Right? Because that's what happened to um, Michaela with the heart that she had gotten from the king. And Daisy has this really great quote. She says, sometimes you can't help who you love or for how long. And it made me think, like, giving your heart, if you can have multiple ones made, right? And it's Mm -hmm. not a big deal, I guess, for some people. Um, in this book so you give it away and then that person will always have a memory of you guys being together even when it fades right they'll still have mm-hmm. I guess the empty heart the empty glass
0: yeah is that what
1: would happen and I don't know there's something about that that was sort of like I, I don't know I really like that because it's true too you can't help who you love or for how long and this person has your heart for a certain amount of time and they'll always remember um I don't know yeah, I don't know. And her view on it, I just felt like it was so sweet and innocent too.
0: It's too certainly very innocent. Yeah. Um, her, so right above that, um, Taya says that she asked her sister Rose why Daisy's heart never lasted longer than her courtship. Mm. Because they're constantly having to make new hearts for her. And she says, hearts only last when you put work into them to make them last. And I like that as a quote too, because that's, I mean, that's a statement about relationships. Relationships only last when you put work into them as well. (gasps) So do you get like really strong feminist vibes from Taya in this point or in this, in this book? Um,
1: yes, I guess I get a lot of awareness of what women have to go through. Mm -hmm. Um, in it. So, because it was actually one of the quotes I picked too, was that guy tells her and I think Polair about stories about like women, right? Mm-hmm. And she says, We didn't want to know, but he regaled us with them anyway, mm-hmm. right? And so there are all these little uh, points, right? And it happens multiple times throughout the book of, you know, pointing out um, where it's unjust to women and where, you know, women have to act a certain way. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Taya, um, is definitely, she wants to change that. So I definitely get that. Yeah. That vibe. I don't know how strong I felt it in this book.
0: Um, but I got that vibe. So I think Taya does a lot of questioning in this book, just in terms of gender roles, um, but also like the things that the Asha have to endure just because it's tradition and what, uh, what has always been done. And so there are a couple of points that she brings up or, or quotes in this story um, that make me get, like they give you like the vibe that Taya wants to be an agent of change for these people. And so she said, at one point, Michaela says, um, when people cut us, we are expected to do only two things, to smile and bleed. And Polaire says, our opinions do not matter, and if you have to swallow your pride to keep them happy, then so be it. In this book, we have Taya questioning gender roles, which gets other people to question things too. When she's advocating for leak or for Lick uh, in front of the Council of the Elders, and he he straight up says, "Like, I'm not going. I'm not meant to be a debt seeker. I'm not meant to participate in this training." And they're like, well, you're a boy, so um, you have to be a death seeker. And Polare, it, it, they take Polare to help with arguing their point too. And she's like, well, why couldn't like a woman be a death seeker? They trained, they trained um, females in Asha to defend themselves and to fight and to be guardians. Why couldn't a woman be a death seeker as well? So we have these, these arguments for questioning gender roles, which is, nice yes
1: I agree I feel like I got more just yes feminist vibes but also just in general social justice vibes from her fighting for you know um I want to say leak so badly but fighting for like you know being supportive of Raheem I got all of that from her too not
0: just feminism yeah um she talks about I guess I just feel like it's a a lot of it is related to women because that's that is who she's advocating for specifically with the asha um in this so it's at the beginning of chapter 21 when she talks about how everyone is believed to have two faces one that they show the public and one that they wear in private the first face is their honor the second face is their dignity the intention is to improve your honor so to do things that are going to make other people happy without compromising your dignity and she feels like she held on to her dignity and maybe compromised her honor but is unapologetic about that and she she poses that same thing to the um to the bard because he also feels like he compromised his honor but he maintained his dignity and feels and he says I would do it again um I think in this book she really makes um some points or she starts to question things that lead her into being an agent of change because she her point through a lot of this book is I'm not going to put myself in the position that Michaela is in where I die trying to put these creatures down. And I compromise myself. She's not. And she says she makes a point um, in front of the council of elders um, with bitterness about, well, isn't it my life? Like, isn't this why I'm here to kill these things? Um, And they're like, well, we get to decide when you do that. So her, her Point Or the thing that she's questioning through this entire story is like, I, I don't want to be a, a human sacrifice for you people. Um, and so I think that's where I get some of that, that feminist vibe um, is her questioning the roles that the Asha have to fill, not um, making herself a sacrifice for them. But also she brings that up uh, later when she's talking to the bard about the woman that he loved, who was killed by her father. Because she was considered a disgrace for running away from her family, um, and wanting to be with him instead of like a bricklayer, I think she she makes several points about the sacrifices that female characters make. In the story, maybe that's where I get the feminine back, or the feminist vibes from. But I think she sets herself up to become a target, which a lot of agents change people who try to challenge things or ask questions. They do because even like she's barely an asha and she's already fighting with the council of elders yeah so that i feel like she's setting herself up to be a target in the future does she end up because she does share
1: kind of those same values with the faceless of um you know things shouldn't be restricted sort of thing does she end up like becoming one of the faceless or she branches out on her own Does she
0: just branch out on her own or does she ever meet up with the faceless? I'm not going to tell you. (sighs) But it's obvious that she bothers somebody or she hits some tender points or questions too much because she's been exiled. Right.
1: I did love the representation in this book and I liked how hard she fought for Lick. I did too. I liked that too. That was another really unique element, I feel like, Mm -hmm. um, in this book that also wasn't, I didn't expect it at all yeah i guess we don't i mean books don't normally like books like this normally don't have a ton of representation so seeing that was really cool
0: yeah there there is a lot of representation with with lick with Mm Rahim, um who is uh he's gay they're not it's not just all white characters uh, which is fantastic we have people of color in this story but uh, there's a lot of um, representation, which is great because the author is also a person of color as well. She is, um, she is Chinese and, and Filipino, so we get um, some some good representation in the story, and that's nice to see. Well, so let's talk a little bit about the Aussie them,
1: okay? Because Anna, right, is able to control it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then so is Taya, right? Right, the let's see the second meeting with the Aussie, right. I think was probably my favorite until their reunion at the end. Um, Oh, you mean
0: in the lake? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the one in the lake was probably, I really enjoyed that one. Mm -hmm. Um, Where she like has to force um, Anna out of its head. Right. Yeah. And that's how she figures out who it is. Yes. Yes so it's interesting to me I wonder there are just so many things I'm curious about I guess if that's something that people really need to be trained on or if it's something that comes kind of naturally because it came naturally to her Mm -hmm. or if it's something
0: that needs to be trained with the, like being able to get into the Aussie's head and her just kind of being able to do that easily. They say several times in this book that Taya is like the most powerful dark Asha they've encountered in a long time. And so, and she's done, she's done magic unconsciously before that's how she raised, you know, her brother. And that's how she raised the dead at the tea house. So part of me thinks that, I mean, she's doing magic and just isn't aware that she's doing it. Um, when that happens, I don't know that she has like some other type of connection with the, the Aussie, because at this point, besides the one that the Deva that they encounter in the first book, this is the only other Deva that she's run into. I wonder if the uh, uh, the Faceless are able to sort of create that enchantment with the Deva because they come from like the, so in their mythology, they come from like the same sort of uh, use of magic that Hollow Knife came from, and he's the one that created the Deva. Mm-hmm. So if they're using the same magic, they would automatically have a stronger connection with the Deva because of that. Solid, solid logic. That's solid, solid. logic. <laughs> you are just doing the best we can here. <laughs> um, I lo- I really like the scene where she she meets the Aussie in the lake as well because I think the just the description of it, the chaos inside of the Aussie's head, how it it's um, it's being controlled and it like it just it's just like chaos inside of it, um, and how she's able to break through the enchantment and compel it. Um, and even like use it to harm itself. So she she gets one of the heads to injure one of the other heads that's trying to harm Fox. Mm. Um, and also really clever thinking on Fox's part too, because everyone else is panicking because they think she's bad and Fox is over there just like slicing himself open because that's his. he's able to see that connection really quickly um, between the Ozzy's actions and his self-harm and how that would affect Taya And can use that for, to help her get a a foothold in the Aussie's mind? Right.
1: I felt bad for the Aussie.
0: Yeah, I did too. It becomes really obvious when she's in its head and after she uh, breaks the enchantment that it really, I mean, it doesn't, it's not intended. Its intention is not to harm other beings, even though that's what it's created for. It just wants to be left alone, which I uh, that is very relatable <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like I just want to go home I just want to she- stay in my lake
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved their reunion at the end too it was really I thought kind of sweet
0: it was yeah because yeah. that's like her I mean and we we glean that from the dress that she has that is decorated with the Aussie um, mm. and that, that's like her that's her baby it would be like me with my cat. <laughs> like <laughs> that's her. I mean, that's her familiar. That's what's been taking up space in her head. And for them to be reunited is sweet. To to pedal back to their mythology, the story of blade that dances that, or blade that soars and dancing wind. In that story, um, dancing wind punishes little tears, her sister, for her jealousy, and that's where the dark Asha come from. And the dark Asha have this negative uh, view or reputation or are perceived badly by the other people. And so part of me wonders if some of that comes from the origins of the dark gasha in this story and how they're created as like a, a punishment by the beloved characters of Blade That Soars and Dancing Wind. Definitely. I definitely
1: think that's the case. Yeah. You know, um, it's one of those stories that's ingrained in people because that is their, you know, it's like an origin for it, and they all know what a darkasha is, um, or a bone witch, whatever you want to call them.
0: Yeah,
1: um, so I think that definitely feeds into it. Uh, you know, there's always this connection between okay, you're raising the dead. That's kind of scary to begin right. with, but instead so- of, I mean, you can kind of view that as a good thing, I guess. <laughs> um. <laughs> but I, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, think about, like, just people in general, we're, like, really superstitious, and stuff sticks with us, I mean, what, we still have the, like, don't let a black cat cross your path, mm-hmm. um, don't walk under a ladder, I don't know why these are things that are, you know, the yeah. ones that are popping Breaking up in my head, your, or a gamer, I mean,
0: salt over your shoulder, yeah,
1: yeah, where did, like, I have no idea, really, what the origins of that really came from, mm-hmm. for some of them, and it's, so it's, yeah, I think it's probably a very similar situation. They don't, they know that the dark, uh, or they believe that the dark Asha are bad. Maybe they don't all know the origin of it, mm-hmm. but it's been passed down enough that it's, you know, it's how yeah. everybody feels. All right, so we can move on to quotable quotes. Um, let's see. So I said most of mine. Um, <laughs> There were two, it looks like that I didn't say, I have, um, then perhaps we should carve a world one day where the strength lies in who you are rather than what they expect you to be. This is really universal because, I mean, it's happening here now Mm -hmm. all the time. This is just a problem with society in general, um, societal expectations. So... I hope that when she destroys all eight kingdoms, she can carve a new world where (laughs) the strength lies in who you are. And then I have, um, we must always be in the business of forgiveness lest we become consumed by our anger. And this is interesting to me because, I mean, I don't know if she's necessarily, um, if she becomes consumed with her anger really but she certainly isn't forgiving mm-hmm. and um you know sometimes anger can make you more powerful too and i think not everyone deserves forgiveness either yeah so to say we must always be in the business of forgiveness just isn't right but i think that was just a general statement about the Aja. yeah um, is what it was i just kind of disagree with it and you know yeah i think
0: it's interesting that (sighs) she
1: definitely doesn't follow that
0: nope (laughs) as evident by how the story ends (laughs) it would it would seem that the anger is winning a little bit (laughs) Mm -hmm. i had a couple of quotes that i liked as well so one of them is there is no greater strength then the ability to understand and accept your own flaws. And I think that Michaela says this to Taya and I like this just as a statement in general, I think um, having that level of self-awareness is important, especially when it comes to making decisions um, being able to recognize, okay, I'm doing this because of my own whatever, or um, I think that that's important for having good judgment. Um, but also in being forgiving of yourself and, um, Being able to recognize, okay, this is me and this is who I am. And that's That's, it.
1: Sorry, just to kind of build off of that. I felt that way a lot with Lick. Um, He knew what his flaws were, that he wouldn't survive being a death seeker. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a great strength for him because by expressing that and by knowing that, he had friends who then helped him, you know, um, do you know, who uh, said so he could do his best to get out of that situation by knowing his weakness and his
0: flaw. Mm-hmm.
1: It was very beneficial
0: for him. Yeah. Uh, he, he's like, Oh, I don't know. 12. Uh, he's really young when he goes through um, this meeting with, uh, because he hasn't even officially gone through the heartstring ceremony yet to have that level of self-awareness as a 12 year old being able to say, look, I, this is not something that I would survive. You would put me in this and I would become Deva food, basically. I mean, I don't remember being that self-aware as a 12 year old. And yeah. so it's, I, I think it's really impressive, not just the the dedication that he's put into um, the the studies that the Asha go through, but just in having that self-awareness and being able as, as a, a preteen to stand up for himself to this group of... Um, much older asha and say like look this is who i am and to not feel ashamed of it i love his character i think it's he's so great ready for final thoughts yes let's do it
1: okay so my final thoughts Um, I was really nervous that I wasn't going to like it, as I said earlier, but now I'm super excited for the next one. I started reading it a little bit, Um, and I'm excited to see how Taya and uh, Kaelin ended up together because, you know, didn't really get any too much chemistry between them. You know, we got that like some interactions, but so I'm excited to see that develop, Um, you know, Enemies to Lovers is always fun. But what I'm most excited about is to see Taya march all of her devas across the kingdoms and create havoc. Excited Thanks. to witness that. I to read <laughs> about it.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I really enjoyed this book on the second read. I forgot how vividly the author create uh, what uh, was able to craft um, this world and it was so lovely to read it again and I really like this series Um, and I feel like in terms of young adult fantasy stories this is not a series that you hear about a whole lot Um, and you definitely should you should read these books they're outstanding so that's how I feel about that. And that wraps up The Bone Witch. Awesome. Um, join us next week. We'll be talking about the next book in this series called The Heart Forger. Same author, Vinci Peco. Um, we hope you join us and we thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.